Good morning, good afternoon, good evening from wherever you may be. This is Snapshots in Hockey History. of our Mike Lawler episode where we review his 1986 Stanley Cup run with the Montreal Canadiens. Just to recap uh, from our first episode, we're going to kind of keep this short since I'm releasing both of these on one day. Mike told us about playing in Boston, Hartford, and for the Rangers. And and oh my God, how can I totally forget about this? He talked about, you know, having dinner with uh, Bob Ganey and his family. That must have been so cool. I mean, could you imagine sitting around the table and saying, hey, Bob, can you pass the meatloaf? Or, or kind of what I hope how it went was Mike would sit there as a young kid and be like, Bob, the meatloaf! And then turn around and just be like, I never know what he's doing. I don't know if that's really how it went or not, but I do love the movie Wedding Crashers. But that's how I kind of envision things. So, anyways, I'm going to keep this intro short. Just a reminder, this is a listener-supported podcast. If you like what you hear, please tell a friend, share on social media, or give us a five-star review on iTunes. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook at Snapshots in Hockey History, as well as on Twitter at Snapshots In. One last thing, we'll have a new episodes every Monday and Thursday at 8 a.m., with the exception of this week. Given that it's opening week in the NHL and it's our first week, I thought we'd release both episodes today, but starting next week, it will be every Monday and Thursday at 8 a.m. Okay, 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 okay. You're here for the interview. You're not here to hear me. If you have any questions or you have a way we can improve the podcast, don't forget to shoot me an email. But here it is, part two. Mike digs into the Stanley Cup Finals and tell us why you don't mess with Chris Knuckles Nyland. And so much more. Calgary ends up beating St. Louis. Game one, it's actually out in Calgary. One of the things that Calgary does is they really mix up their lines at first. Do you recall that game one at all? It, it seemed you, you guys ended up losing that game. Was it overwhelming? Was the Do you remember the lines being mixed up? Does any of that ring any bells? No, I think, you know, you're, you have to control your emotions. And again, getting back to not... Not worrying so much about what they're doing. It's it's us playing our game, which is kind of a strong defensive game. Always, you know, marking your man, you know, third man high, just doing the simple things. They just repeat themselves every game. And, you know, whoever their their top forwards were, their top producing line, that usually I'm sure Guy Carboneau and Bob Ganey and Chris Nyland matched up against them. You know, you're just sort of matching the lines because we're somewhat similar. And then just doing your best to do your job, you know, for Rick Green and I to just play strong defensively for Larry Robinson and Gaston Gingra or Chris Jellio, you know, like just everyone doing what it is that we do best uh, individually and then collectively too. But I think that with Calgary going to seven games and us winning in five, we had more days off. So right away, I don't think I realized it at the time, but it's hard to get your intensity up for game one because they just finished game seven. And here we were just practicing for four or five days. It was going to be harder for us just because of that. And then when you go up to Calgary, there's uh, the altitude's a little higher, and uh, it's actually harder to breathe in that first intense game. And it, the same thing happened in Alberta, or I'm Alberta, in Edmonton. So usually you would go out and you'd play Calgary and Edmonton, 
whoever you played first, it was just harder um, cardiovascular wise. And then you always felt better the second game. <laughs> um, but there was a slight difference there. I don't remember it ever being a real issue or anyone talking too much about it. But as a player, you certainly feel it. So given that they went seven games and were playing in, you know, that first game in Calgary, it, it was it was going to be hard for us anyways. In the end, we ended up losing, uh, what, 5-2 or something like that? Yeah, it was something yeah. along those lines. And it's, it's interesting what you say about the altitude in Edmonton and Calgary. I always thought that the key to the Oilers' success was Wayne Gretzky in the 80s. But it sounds <laughs> like it was really all the altitude. Well, it, it wasn't all the altitude. It was the it was the skill of their team I'm, first and foremost. I'm giving uh, you a hard time. I'm giving you a hard time. <laughs> but uh, but Edmonton was always known for the best ice in the league. Really? Uh, yeah, and I'm sure it had to do with the dryness of the air or whatever. I mean, they had fast ice and fast players, and <laughs> and it's funny the guy. That's in charge of the NHL's ice now, the ice guru, and I can't think of his name. I just met him. He was he got his start in Edmonton. Yeah, and I and I think the Edmonton ice was always so good. They thought they could just bring this guy to any city in the league and say, "Hey, make great ice." But I think it's just probably where Edmonton is located geographically, <laughs> and the the lack of humidity that just makes for perfect ice or whatever's in the water. It's obviously harder to have that quality of ice in Tampa and Florida, Dallas, uh, you know, wherever. In that game, Al McKinnis gets a shot. You're a defenseman, uh, and uh, John Tonelli puts in his shot. How scary is it when Al McKinnis comes down and winds up that big slap shot? He could definitely shoot, <laughs> and uh, and he wasn't afraid to shoot for the top of the net either. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> Back in that day, we had Jacques Leperrier uh, as our defensive coach. And he would, um, I won't attempt my French accent, but he would just tell us to to let the goalies save the puck. They got all the equipment on, just, just clear the, just make sure he can see it. You know, that was our job to clear the front of the net and make sure the goalie could see it. So it wasn't like, oh, like in today's, game the number of block shots and people going down to even attempt to block Sedano Charas or Alex Ovechkin's I don't know how they do it I mean these guys are sh shooting the puck so hard and people are falling and blocking the shots so back then it was more the more our job to clear the front of the net and let Patrick Waugh see the puck and then <laughs> you know what let him do it let him take it. Yeah. What's, um, people talk about Wall being a little goofy off the ice. You know, he talks to the goalposts. He used to say he'd eat potato chips for energy before games. Do you have any memories of him off the ice? He was, um, he was very, he's from Quebec City. He's very French. And, you know, we were all so young back then. He, you know, he kept, a, he was a little more shy because I don't think he had confidence in his English like all of us, we just we just wanted to keep our head down and and work hard and and hope that we got to stay another day and play another game and that. So, you know, he had his routine and whatever he had to do. And um, I'm not sure where he lived in the city, but even though we were both single, 
we didn't hang out like after after practice or anything like that um but he was always uh so pleasant and so nice and you know everything we were just young kids back then so you know i think as he played more and people become more aware of him and more reporters are asking him questions and I mean, his performance was outstanding. So people take notice and then they want to know who is this kid. And, you know, with his language and everything, uh, I mean, he he did bring some smiles to people's faces when he described his goalposts as ping and pong and, uh, (laughs) you know, (laughs) trying to describe, answer the questions that were asked to him. But trying to get inside the mind of a goalie is uh, is tough enough. But (laughs) yeah, no. I, uh, so you guys win game two. Games three and four are, are interesting in this series, and I think you knew I was going to get to this. But before we touch on the conclusion of game four, uh, Brett Hall plays his first NHL game in game three. Do you have any memories of seeing him out there? And I know you played with him in St. Louis a couple years later. Brett Hall hit the post on his first shift. You remember that? Yeah, I was on the ice. And- <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to bring that up. <laughs> and the faceoff was i don't know say whatever side of the, our goalie patrick and uh you know it's like oh brett hall and whatever you know you have visions of his dad you don't know who brett is and he was a little like stocky and just you know whatever not an intimidating force you know he wasn't eight feet tall or whatever but man he uh and they must have won the face off and he got the shot and he hit the post i was like oh man <laughs> uh, shift change real quick um game four there is you know one of the last bench clearing brawls in the nhl you pair up with john tonelli claude the mew evidently bites jim poplinski um, <laughs> there's forty two thousand dollars in fines that go out 142 penalty minutes do you remember how this thing even got started can you walk us through what's going on in your mind i'd imagine it's just chaos yeah i i wish i had more detailed uh <laughs> I I didn't get hurt and I didn't hurt anyone, so that's probably uh, that's a good start. <laughs> that's a good start. You know, like almost all the time, they they probably look bigger and sound more menacing than than actually being on the ice. Because um, I want to say we're well, we lose game one, we win games two, games three. You guys are going all the way, yeah. Down. Game, game two was close yep. because we went into overtime and we we scored the fastest overtime goal. I think that still stands today, nine seconds into overtime. And who got an uh, assist on that? Yeah, but I don't know if it's in the record books that way. Uh, but... it, it is in the record books. It is. It is. I double-checked for you. Oh, thank you. So, yeah, that now the series is tied 1-1 and we go back to Montreal, so it's always more comfortable to go home. And um, I think you say game three, when did the brawl happen in game four? The end of game four. Yeah. So game three, I, I believe it was, a, it must've been a close game. And then um, game four, was that a one nothing game? It was, I got the scores right here. I'll tell you. And the brawl happened uh, at the end of the game. So that's just gotta be frustration and the whole, you know, each game when a ser- when a series starts, each game that progresses, it's um, you know you I don't know if it's not animosity, but kind of a, a hatred for your opponent. Like you know who you're playing against, and you're so physically like 
tired and giving it everything you have. It's, um, you know, the fact that a, a brawl broke out, um, you know, I don't, I, I remember it happening, but I never remember being scared or intimidated. It was just part of the game, you know, part of the, part of the series. You go ahead and wrap up game four. Game five, you're going to Calgary out there. And there are reports that Bob Johnson, uh, who was with Calgary, would not let you guys get on the ice for practice at certain times. And that <laughs> the benches were like eight inches closer for the Montreal team uh, to the boards than they were for the Flames. Do these things happen in the NHL where, or, or really in any sport, that we don't even see where it's these little mind games that kind of take place? And I don't know how they sort of you know where they come from and it, it could be your own organization just trying to stir something up that us against them we're getting screwed you know like sure. <laughs> you know uh, trying to keep your mind off of changing your focus a little bit um or create some some more emotion i don't know i i don't remember in anything that you like Kerry Frazier, right? With the, right. we talked before about that high stick goal. At the end, it doesn't matter how that puck went in. It's like it was allowed, and now it's either one nothing or two nothing. That's that's the focus. If you're gonna if you're gonna waste energy or get too distracted by the referee, you're gonna really you're gonna hurt yourself into what you have to do. So I think. You know, whether the bench was closer or farther or whether they wouldn't let us skate at a certain time, it, it kind of adds fuel. Like, it gives you a motivation to be like, oh, I'm pissed off at these guys, but it doesn't matter. You're going to make the best of what you have and, and work through it. But I think any time a coach can kind of, you know, like even to this day, the last thing teams – one is a player to say something that's going to be locker room material for their opponent. And so if they didn't, if they were restricted on our practice time or whatever, it probably didn't help them because it would have, it would have given us a reason to hate them more, <laughs> you know? Fair enough. Add fuel to the fire. Yeah. Speaking of guys talking and, and officials, uh, earlier in the Hartford series, I forgot to touch on this. Chris Chelios actually spits at John D'Amico, who was a uh, longtime linesman, and, and he'd been in the league for 23 years, and he gave his first minor penalty out that game. He said he'd never given a penalty. Chris played for years. He had a Hall of Fame career. Was he an intense guy out there? Was he? What was his style like? His style was um, he, he, he could get under people's skin, and I, I didn't really – see it because i was his teammate sure so i just accepted him and loved him and just he was the best but other people just hated him <laughs> <laughs> and i never quite understood why but i guess you know years later you look back and you see what he did and you know he was he was courageous and brave and could knew how to knew how to aggravate people and uh, he did it well but I, I think because I was his teammate I was a little slow coming to the party of like I was always defending him like you're at a golf tournament or somewhere and it's like hey yeah that Chelios you know he's a real dick and it's like no, no he's a great guy <laughs> game five Steve Bozak and Joey Mullen score for Calgary 
You guys are up with 14 seconds left. Wall comes up huge by blocking a shot on Jamie McCowan. Yes. 14 seconds oh. left. Please walk me through what you remember. He, however that puck came loose and across the crease, you know, the intensity's there because Calgary scored a couple late goals, right? To yep. close the, to make what, from 4-1 to 4-3? Yeah, it was, uh, it was a 4-3 game. You're absolutely right. The puck comes out of that, I think it's to the left of uh, Patrick, and somehow finds its way on, uh, would you say, Jamie McEwen? Jamie McEwen, uh, yep, for McEwen. McEwen's stick. And it's like he Patrick's falling to the, you know, you know, across the net, and Jamie, like, fires it right into his glove. I don't even know if Patrick saved it or however. You know, it was, right. uh, thank God the, the whistle went and the puck didn't go in the net. Because the thought of going into overtime, especially when we had a 4-1 lead at one time, you know, to let it slip away would have really been emotionally and mentally tough to come back from. There was a face-off with 14 seconds, and I think we were able to, I don't know, get our stick on the puck and, and clear it and watch the uh, the clock tick down and the buzzer go and the game's over and that we won the cup and you're you're so filled with excitement but you you're not sure if you're just glad the game's over or that you actually won you know it's because uh, you're just truly exhausted by that point you guys get in the locker room and here's a question i think everybody wants to know you and you know claw the mew are partying where did the white cowboy hat come from that you're wearing around the locker room after you guys win the Stanley Cup. <laughs> I think we've spent too many days out in Calgary because I remember I, b I bought a uh, pair of snakeskin boots <laughs> while I was there. And, and I'm not sure if that was my hat or if someone else had bought it, but uh, I don't know. It sounded like a good thing. and We were just happy to, <laughs> happy to be celebrating. But what you didn't realize was 30 years later, there was going to be this random guy who calls you and says, hey, what was with the white cowboy hat? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm going to have to go back and look at some, try to find some footage of that. <laughs> so Chris Nyland and Bob Gainey are actually over in the Calgary Flames locker room after the game. Is Bob Gainey, I mean, this guy, he's just a class act. Is yes. he really, I know you mentioned that you lived across the street from him and everybody, you know, talks about how great of a guy he is. There's, right. It, it seems like no, there's nothing bad about this guy going around the league or anything like that. <laughs> right. I mean, it's now on the other hand, you have Nylon. What was it like playing with Chris Nylon? Chris Nylon, um, he, uh, he, he's the best. I, I, I love that guy. <laughs> I've been able to uh, spend some time with him the last five years playing in different charity games and stuff. So it's been nice to reconnect with him and, he played with so much heart and passion. And the one thing, Chris Nyland, he he was fearless. I mean, truly fearless on and off the ice. I, I don't know if I've ever met anybody like that. And uh, he he wasn't the biggest guy on the ice, but he he had a mental toughness and strength and fearlessness that just, made him the best enforcer and teammate. And one thing, when we started that 85, 86 season, 
training camp ends, everybody that's left is called into the office and you're told whether you've made the team or not. In the end, you know, the, the next day you come to practice and we start the season with seven rookies and we're getting ready for that first team practice and we're in various stages of dressing in the locker room and Chris Nyland comes in and he points to each walks around you know and he's half dressed getting ready for practice and he points to each individual rookie drags us down the hall to this uh, lounge area and he tells us that uh, what our responsibility is to oh the team God. that year. And he, you know, to say he threatened us, I guess you could say that. Sure. <laughs> but uh, he he was going to be the, the sheriff. And he's like, you guys, you have to remember that there's guys like Bob Ganey, Larry Robinson, uh, you know, who've been here and have won Stanley Cups and they're older and you don't know how many years they have left you know it's our responsibility to to work hard each and every day and he said if you don't work hard if i don't think you're working hard i'll let you know you're gonna have to answer to me (laughs) yeah (laughs) and uh you know thinking about the veterans on the team and because our group was so big seven of us that we have a role to fill and a responsibility to uphold. Just, you know, you can't be, oh, you have a bad day. Oh, he's just a rookie. You know, it's a third of your team. <laughs> so, yeah, he threatened us and he let us go. We went out and we practiced and practiced hard each and every day. Up until, I think it was sometime during that year, around midway through, we were probably on that western swing and Stefan Richer wasn't... um I don't know. Chris didn't think he was working hard enough in practice, and <laughs> and Chris two-handed him and really yeah. hurt him. I'm not sure if Steph played the next game, but that was. And Chris had such an ability that you never, when he did something like bad, and he did some bad things on the ice, and uh, people didn't see it. You know, they didn't have the hundred camera angles <laughs> to to catch things, and so we're at practice, and Steph's on the ice, and he's hurt, and. Everyone's gathering around, and Bob Ganey, a man of few words, he, he kind of looks looks at Chris and says, what did you do? <laughs> <laughs> and Chris, who loved Bob and all this respect for him, but Bob, Bob, he he was screwing around like he wasn't. <laughs> oh, my god! And oh, Bob, Bob never swore. He's like, Chris, you can't be doing that. <laughs> so, oh, my gosh. That's insane. But, and and how was Stefan Richer? We didn't really touch on him much. Yeah, he was, again, he was, you know, very French, and I don't know, you know, these these guys came with, like, Patrick and Steph, Fredo to Junior, and I think they had a lot of confidence in their English, and, you know, wherever they lived in the city, we didn't hang around together after practice, we had, we were great, you know, during practice and at the rink and stuff, but uh, kind of kept to ourselves, I don't know if that's the right word, but wherever we went after practice, um, so Steph and I, he, he just, he's a great talent and, uh, you know, so skilled as a hockey player, but you know, that first year we didn't spend a lot of time together off the ice. And, uh, he's another one that I've been running into time and time again, the last five years. And it's so, so great to see him. And it's like, we're all those guys from that 86 team where there's a bond there and a friendship that, doesn't matter how many years go by between our, you know, 
visits or whatever or seeing each other uh just a, a true joy to be with any any and all of those guys that's great that's great Do you have still about five more minutes yeah oh great one thing i want to ask you patrick wall wins the con smite that year arguably don't, don't get me wrong patrick wall had to be a huge he was a huge factor in that but just yes. what do you think that claude lemieux with the unbelievable performance he had do you think that maybe he is deserving of that reward award excuse me uh yeah definitely um if pat if you weren't going to give it to patrick claude lemieux certainly is deserving of it but i think i never questioned it going to patrick and i think after that game game three in new york that we went into overtime mm -hmm. you could have given the consmite trophy to patrick that night that's just how good he was and ultimately why we got as far as we did you guys get done you get on the plane about 90 minutes after the game when do you hear that there are riots going on in montreal and that there's 5,000 fans going crazy outside the forum i don't think it was probably the next afternoon because we partied in the locker room with the champagne and everything right after the game and all our families and whoever in the locker room. And then uh, we get on the plane and the party just continued. And so we didn't land in Montreal at Dorval Airport until it had to have been like six o'clock in the morning, oh kind of daybreak, um, you know, with the time change and the travel time and everything. And by probably the last 45 minutes of the flight, or maybe it was longer, exhaustion started to creep in. And, <laughs> you know, people like just sitting in their seats and whatever. But we get off the plane and we start to walk through the terminal. And there were these windows and kind of looking down and there's no one else in the terminal. And we're just walking. You go by this like a big window, but by the time you sort of, you you kind of glanced out. You saw something, but you didn't know what it was. You're like, and you get to the next one, and you look outside, and you could see the like the four or five tier parking garage mm -hmm. there. Every level had fans oh. hanging out over the edge. It was, I mean, there were thousands of people at the airport to welcome us back, and that was really like overwhelming. <laughs> like, just uh, it's like holy moly. I, the only thing I could think of is like watching these videos of the Beatles arriving <laughs> to the States. That That's kind of how I like I felt like, wow, there's thousands of people out there just cheering and crying and just so happy for us. And then we had to we from the terminal down to the baggage claim area and out to the street to get a cab home again they had to make like a push the crowd to the sides and let us walk through and then they had cabs uh that we just jumped in and sped off and went home but now by the time he got home it was early in the morning and went to bed and woke you know whatever time we woke up in the afternoon um i think that's when we started to realize what happened downtown montreal because it was all over the news Oh my and, gosh. And you talked about your family or families being in the locker room. Did you get to share this with anybody from your family? Was um, My wife, uh, Leanne. Okay. And um, so I had met her earlier in that hockey season. And then we started to date 
we were boyfriend girlfriend um, before the playoffs started and then we go on to this terrific run through the playoffs and it comes to game five and the montreal canadians said if you want your wife or your girlfriend to um to come out to calgary they they can come and so leanne was able to to fly out there uh, they they flew out on their own but after the game, they flew home with us. Oh, and cool. uh, so it was really special to to share that with her and then to not only like fly home and then we, we had uh, a big Montreal Canadiens like party at the Queen Elizabeth Hotel. And then uh, the, I think the next day we had the parade and then, you know, we had function, you know, parties for a full week uh, after we had won. And then the second week, the Montreal Canadiens uh, sent us to Club Med in the Bahamas. Oh, my God. And we could take a guest. So Leanne came with me to the Bahamas. So to, to live, I don't know, that like the spring of 86, Leanne and I were married in uh, August 1st of 87. Oh, so, wow. and we're still married today. And it's, you know, uh, but it, it's... It's been great to share that with her because she's going to listen to your podcast <laughs> like, as much. She never gets tired of me telling my stories or talking about it because she has her own to share. And it's nice because I think, wow, if I went through all of that and she wasn't there, I could just see by now she'd be so tired of hearing of the good old days. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Well, you and Leanne, you guys work together now up in Needham. Where's your, you, you guys have a fitness center together. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, we, uh, when I retired in 97, I went to work for Reebok <laughs> and I did product development for them for a couple years. But by 2000, 2001, Leanne and I uh, start, went into the fitness business. We're personal trainers and we have a company called Teammates Fitness mm -hmm. and it's Pilates and personal training and we cater to an adult clientele. We live in Needham, Massachusetts now, which is like... 10, 12 miles uh, west of Boston. And our our facility, Teammates Fitness, is in Wellesley, uh, Massachusetts. And we've been doing that for, you know, close to 20 years now. And it's it's been great. And I think the name of the company, Teammates, uh, fits, fits Leanne and I well, because we are. <laughs> so That's awesome. That's great. I'll put a link up. Uh, if people want to check it out, they can go to www.teammatesfitness.com. Well, there you have it. Our first episode is in the books. Man, Mike was a good opening guest. There were definitely two things that stuck out in part two from the interview is how awesome was that Chris Nyland story? I mean, Jesus, you'd either do what he says or you get a two-hander across the wrist and possibly a broken arm. No big deal. Yeah. I mean, poor Stefan Roche. God, I mean, what a story. Also, how cool was it that he, they sent the Montreal Canadiens to Club Med? I mean, when was the last time you even heard about Club Med? I think when Mike mentioned that during the interview, that was the first time I'd heard the name of that place in probably two decades. So it was a cool trip down memory lane to definitely hear that. Anyways, quick reminder, new episodes will drop every Monday and Thursday at 8 a.m. with the exception of this week. Please take a minute to follow us on social media and on Twitter, Facebook, iTunes, wherever it may be. And uh, please leave us a five-star review if you like what you hear. If you don't like what you hear, shoot us an email. Uh, I'd love to see how we could try to improve this thing. Anyways, that's it. Enjoy NHL opening week, and we'll see you next week for another snapshot in hockey history.